1: Hi there, welcome back to the Working on Purpose program. Thanks for tuning in again this week. I'm your host, Dr. Elise Cortez, joining you live from Dallas, Texas, which is home base for me. If you don't know me yet, I'm a management consultant specializing in meaning and purpose, organizational logotherapist, inspirational speaker, social scientist, and author. My team and I help companies discover and articulate their purpose to embed it into culture and operations. We work with forward-thinking or forward-reaching organizations to develop inspirational leaders who create cultures where people actually want to come to work and do their best. And we provide programs like the Grab Your Gusto that enable individual team members to discover and unleash their passion and purpose at work to catalyze fulfillment, engagement, and productivity. You can learn more about us and how we can work together at EliseCortez.com. With us today is Lori Van, a licensed professional counselor supervisor practicing mental health counseling and LPC associate supervision in the state of Texas. She's an international speaker, media guest, and five-time author. She is regarded she's a regarded behavioral health expert and founder of Van & Associates, coaching, counseling, and consulting, and is a go-to authority on such topics including bullying, self-injury, perfectionism, and ethics, to name a few. Today, we'll be talking about the problem of perfectionism in the workplace, what's contributing to the great resignation, and what companies can do to address the well-being sought after by so much of today's workforce. She joins us today from the greater Dallas area. Lori, welcome to Working on Purpose.
2: Thank you. It is a pleasure to be here today.
1: Thanks, right? I, you know, this
2: is not this is important
1: stuff we're talking about here, and we can still have fun about, with it, can't we? <laughs> So I know you are up to all kinds of things and really have done the work to establish this office and authority, but for our listeners and viewers who don't know you yet the way that I have gotten to know you some, would you just start by sharing just a bit about your background and really what you're focused on today?
2: Well, I am a licensed professional counselor supervisor. I've been a professional counselor and whether as an intern or fully licensed for over 20 years in the state of Texas. My I'm regarded as an authority in non suicidal self injury, and I've been working with that for over 20 years and wrote four out of five books on that particular topic. Founder of the Institute for Non Suicidal Self Injury, and what's oftentimes connected into that is perfectionism. Uh, perfectionism is something that's also an area of expertise for myself that I've worked with. People as young as probably 10 years of age up into well into the adult years that struggle with it. And having worked with in corporate America, having worked with a lot of clients in corporate America, I saw perfectionism as one of the key factors in them going on to short-term disability. And it's also something that I see so many students struggle with. And that becomes a factor for, well, them not doing well in school. And on a global part, I see perfectionism connected into things like substance misuse and maybe eating disorders, self-injury, and just a whole slew of not great coping skills to deal with it. But yes, I've worked all around the place from inpatient psych, outpatient, director of a nonprofit, and then uh, here in my private practice with the other counselors here under under my supervision or just in my office.
1: Wow, a lot to draw from, Lori. That is really an impressive, extensive background to draw from. And it, that makes me think that you have, you're really well positioned to comment on. I'm very interested. I just had a, today a lunch with a friend of mine and we were talking about this topic. Help us from your vantage, point, your vantage point understand what's going on in the workplace these last couple of years. We've been in the pandemic for a couple of years now and there's a lot of things happening which we're gonna also address on the show. but. Paint for us what you see going on in the workforce these days.
2: There's been a lot of changes, and it's one of those I think we're not going to be able to put the genie back in the bottle.
1: <laughs> well <laughs> said, yes.
2: Yeah. And in some ways, I think that's a really good thing because the pandemic, especially very early on, and we didn't understand it, and there was so much fear and anxiety And we were forced to stay at home in many different job markets. And I think that became the reality check. I think for many people, it was that realization of what really matters in life. When you're faced with the fears that were being put out there about COVID and not knowing, well, if my loved one gets it, Are they going to live? If I get it, will I live? There's nothing more sobering in life than death. Mm -hmm. And I think that was the wake-up call for many people. And that really got them thinking, am I doing what I want to do? Am I really okay giving 60 hours, sometimes more, of my life to a job that I feel is dead end, that has no purpose, that takes me away from my family, from the things that I realize I really care about and value and I think that it really has contributed to things like the great resignation and people going you know what I I'm not okay with how things have been and the fact that we've been able to work from home and we've been doing it pretty successfully it got rid of that whole argument of like oh well employees are going to be total slackers and they're not going to get anything done if they work from home it's like i i think people that were slackers got weeded out mm-hmm. and what we saw is that more employees because they're working from home actually were working more hours and i think there was a certain quality of life that came back because They were working from home versus being stuck on LBJ freeway for an hour and backed up traffic, getting frustrated and wasting all that time and energy and gas and everything else going back and forth. Giving up a commute, I think, has been a helpful quality of life improvement.
1: Yeah, but the one complaint I have about that is (laughs) that's what a lot of people would listen to my show. (laughs) <laughs> you know, you know. So, so that, that's the only, it's the only downside of that. But, but one, let me let me tie into what you said because this is so important for people to really understand this phenomenon that has occurred in society across the world. I think a couple of the things that bear pointing out from my perspective, and love your perspective on it, is last week we were, we were on air with Dr. Ranjay Gulati, and he wrote a book called Deep Purpose, and he had a perspective about um, the pandemic, and he said, you know, the best upside of the pandemic is that it taught people to want more from their lives and i think that's true and then the other thing of course that's really interesting about about um, the pandemic and of course i see that with my clients now Lori, is it, you know people literally are as we're as we're let's just talk about this next you know this i uh, this phenomenon of the great resignation which what that really speaks to is people are literally leaving their job before they even have something else lined up they are just they just quit they're out of there and one of the things that i think is interesting i'd love your perspective on this that i have um, read somewhere, is that um, part of that, what's causing and undergirding that is that, one, that people were cooped up for a couple of years and maybe in a job they really didn't want to be in. Or it was hard to make a change during the height of the pandemic and a lot of things going on, a lot of moving parts. They were taking care of kids or you know, elder, elder, elder members of the family, et cetera. So when you think about, you know, when you feel sort of stuck in life, you know, it's really hard to change your spouse. It's really hard to change your children swap out your children, really hard oftentimes to change the, the, the home you live in, but you can change jobs pretty easily, right? So this idea that, you know, the, if you can just, I'm, I'm, I'm moving on from something, it's going to be this job. Do you have any any perspective or thought or have you, have you learned something about that connection? Why people are quitting their jobs?
2: I, I mean, partially it is the unhappy factor that they didn't feel appreciated mm-hmm. and life's short. Life is just too short to be miserable. And again, I think that goes back to, and I'll touch on the purpose aspect in a moment, but if our health is a critical part of our existence, which it is, do we really want to sacrifice our physical and psychological health to something that doesn't treat us well, that doesn't appreciate us? I mean, that's almost like, dare I say, almost being in an abusive relationship.
1: Oh, wow. Yeah.
2: I mean, that I'm trying not to be, you know, too casual about that, but we do know some jobs were actually sort of borderline abusive mm-hmm. in not taking care of their employees, of their safety, whether that's physiologically or psychologically. And again, I think that sense of life is too short to sacrifice all of those very valuable things for for what? And I think there's also that sense of purpose, that wake up call that whenever we go through something big and traumatic and and definitely there's a lot of trauma that's happened with COVID, it's that opportunity to step back and assess our life and go, is it going where I want to go? Do I feel like I am contributing? Do I feel like I have value, but I'm also providing value? And in general, I've come across so many employees that they got burnt out that they wanted to leave their job because they're like, I have no sense of purpose. I go in each day and I assemble my widgets or I do my you know, payroll report or I do whatever thing. And for what? Like, what benefit is there to it? I'm not leaving a legacy. I feel like I'm not really doing anything meaningful. And when you lack purpose, you become depressed. Mm-hmm. So, I think being at home too gave people a lot of time to just pause and really reflect on where their life was going.
1: Mm-hmm. I completely agree with that, Lori. And so, you know, as you might remember, uh, I my whole jam is about helping people to to access their passion, inspiration, meaning, and purpose. And I because I know how vital that is. It goes right smack into logotherapy for me. Um, so I, I totally it. it and picking up what you're laying down, shall we say. Uh, so now let's turn it over then to the other side then. So if, you know, comp- I know there are a lot of companies, including the, the, the clients that I'm working with right this very moment who are struggling to be able to find people to join their team and stay on the team. If we, we've now presence kind of maybe what's undergirding the, the great resignation. So what can employers do to address that? What can they do to stop and stem that tide?
2: Well, one of the things I talk about as a a behavioral health consultant for companies is that, you know, obviously you want to attract the good employees. You want to maintain them, retain them and keep them happy. Even before the pandemic, when I was working more in the Las Colinas Irving area around a lot of Fortune 500 companies, I was filling out quite a bit of short-term disability paperwork, which obviously isn't great for the employee. It's obviously really bad for the company and for the co-workers. So even back then, I saw the situation of burnout, and what it came down to is it was too much micromanagement.
1: Mm, that's great to know.
2: Yeah, micromanagement is a really big piece of it. When people feel like they have no autonomy, they feel like again, lack of purpose in their job when they feel like people are breathing down their neck and thus not being trusted. And that also goes to respect. And that, you know, the the layers of responsibility keep getting added, but there's no appreciation to it. There's no compensation for it. Eventually, you get burnt out.
1: Lori, that is one of the best succinct, well put together ways to help understand really what was what, behind all this. And 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 I do know, you know, when when companies feel like, okay, we're doing something different, people are working from home, I know, are they working from home or are they doing the laundry or they are they watching their favorite, you know, football game or whatever it is. And then of course, and then, then they don't trust, so they, they micromanage. And then of course the employee feels the mistrust and sh- um, shrinks back. It's a vicious cycle. So that really actually helps. And so one of the things I, I teach Uh, clients that I'm working with is is the importance of extending trust in order to be able to connect with your employees to extend that trust and sometimes it doesn't always work some people some people don't work very well from home and to your point earlier some of those people got weeded out and but it's really interesting how you put this together so you know so how can how can employers um what can they do to start to be able to It'll support this more hybrid workforce, this virtual workforce, and continue to meet the demands of this changing workforce?
2: I do think communication is a big piece. So when I work with clients, coaching, counseling, either one, I say, think of it as this triangle. And part of the triangle is communication, trust, respect. If you're not communicating, it's hard to trust someone because you fill in the blanks, you make assumptions.
1: Mm-hmm, true. If
2: if you're not communicating, then that's also a sign of lack of respect. It's like, I, I don't even have the time and effort to even communicate with you. Well, yeah, that's pretty disrespectful. And if you don't trust someone, then you don't respect them. So the three just work together. So I would encourage employees, managers, you have to start with the communication. You can't make assumptions. You can't assume, for example, that the employee thinks the same way that you do. And sometimes you actually don't want them to think the same way that you do because there's some benefit in seeing things from a different angle, a different point of view. And I think sometimes that becomes a little threatening because we may interpret it as, oh, they're saying I'm wrong. That's not the case at all. But if you communicate with someone, then you can find out their point of view and go, oh, it's not what I thought it was. And likewise, they better understand you and go, oh, so my boss isn't some SOB. This is actually their thought process. Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah, implicitly left brainers versus right brainers.
1: Right, right. Uh, Such important points um, for us to be talking about, Lori. So let's grab our first break here. I'm Elise Cortez, your host. We've been on the year with Lori Van. She's an international speaker, media guest, and five-time author. She is a regarded behavioral health expert and founder of Van & Associates, coaching, counseling, and consulting. We've been talking a bit about the great resignation and what's underneath it and what employers can do to start to address it. After the break, we're going to get into more about perfectionism and burnout. Stay with us. We'll be right back.
0: Now, back to Working On Purpose.
1: Thanks for being with us and welcome back to the program. Before we get back into the content, I want to invite you to check out the book I put out um, in fall of 2020. It's called Purpose Ignited, How Inspiring Leaders Ignite Passion and Elevate Cause, which is on Amazon. I wrote it to awaken readers to their passion and purpose and help transform them into inspirational leaders who enliven the workplace and, and, and the elevated contribution of the people to make them actually want to come to work. That's what it's for. And I use the content as a basis for my vitally inspired leadership program and the Grab Your Gusto program. So I hope you'll check it out. If you're just joining the program, my guest is Lori Van, a licensed professional counselor, supervisor practicing mental health counseling and LPC associate supervision in the state of Texas. We've been talking before about what was starting to be undergirding the Great Resignation. Now I want to get more specifically into a couple issues that you know about that are probably underneath that too. Um, so let's start with perfectionism. You mentioned that at the beginning of, of the show. So um, what is, first off, you know, I think most of us have an idea what perfectionism perfectionism is but really from your vantage point technically what is it and why is it such a problem
2: i talk about there are four main types of perfectionism that i assess for so everyone thinks of what i call the 100%er the the stereotypical
1: perfectionist mm-hmm.
2: the yeah you know, 90s not good enough it has to be 100 and oftentimes this is a person that after they've achieved one goal they can't really enjoy it because now it's on to the next You often see performance-based self-esteem that goes with this type of perfectionist. Now, a lot of companies take advantage of that particular type of perfectionist. And I'm going to say sometimes it's unintentional that, oh, here's the high performer. And so now they raise the stake because this person was able to get things done, a lot of things done in the timeline, did excellent. So let's raise the bar and they're like, okay, I can do that. Eventually, the bar keeps getting raised to the point, they can't meet that bar anymore, and that's where I see the burnout. That's where I see them go on short-term disability. Now, the other types of perfectionism, you do have what I call a all or nothing, and sometimes that actually looks like procrastination. It's an individual that goes, I'm gonna get done, but please let me do it on my timetable, my standards, don't have me start it and then interrupt me and have me go do something else and then come back to it because that just throws them off. They hate that. So oftentimes the night before something's due, that's when they're doing it. And it's not because they were being lazy. It's because cognitively that's how they work. There are those that I refer to as start over perfectionists and you tend to see this maybe more in the artistic sense of they will see every little flaw and may not turn something in because it's never perfect enough for them to turn it in. Or they might keep starting it over of like, okay, yeah, but there's this and I, I just need to redo it again. And that comes to the phrase of done is better than perfect.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: It's thing I work with them on and the last one is a fear of failure perfectionist and this person often gets immobilized by that fear of not doing well of failing so they'll either not even attempt something they're like i'm not even gonna put myself out there and that could look like the employee that never volunteers for anything that never tries to do something and again initially may look like oh they're just being a slacker but not necessarily and that's where communication comes in and Find
1: out
2: the why. Hmm. Yeah, there, there's a lot of things I could talk about with that. I know.
1: It's it's fascinating. I don't think I would have ever, ever fleshed that out like that, but that's why you're the expert. Uh, so the first one I recognize, the 100 percenters, I recognize those uh, uh, being that I've done a lot of work in organizations and continue helping them understand how engaged is their workforce. In other words, how productive, how connected is their workforce to, to the company and so you know what we find is to your point is those people that are oftentimes you know uber engaged and really engaged at some point they do burn out because what happens is they you know their own efforts they just run out of steam and then two the company relies on them so much and gives them more and more work because they just keep performing and so it's a self-fulfilling again vicious cycle so that one i recognize the other ones i don't recognize as much so i wanted to translate that into you know more of corporate speak as well um, and, and for those of you who are listening, here's what's interesting is <clears throat> I recognize myself in the first one and that I, I do, I'm constantly like I, you know, I finished this, this book or this one and I go on to the next thing. So I do rec- recognize myself there, but I also recognize myself in that thing. I, there's something about like, you know, knowing that I, I knew that I was supposed to get this thing done, you know, two months ago, but I'm working on it literally the day before, but there's something in that, that like juices and jazzes me. What is that? And I, and I bring it. I mean, it happens.
2: Yeah. I think there is an adrenaline piece to it. You know, without a doubt, we're more focused where there's a sense of that pressure. And some people theoretically do work better under pressure. And I think maybe even those that have some ADHD traits may do better mm-hmm. in that kind of environment of mm-hmm. they need that kind of pressure. But the key pieces that again, they don't have anything else. They have cleared their plate. So that is the only thing that they are focusing on and that's what they need. And during the average work day, there's so many distractions. There's so many things going on of like, hey, can you work on this project? Hey, can you do this for this project is outstanding. And what about this and this? And so when they have that task, they are being dr- you know, pulled in so many different directions They can't really do the main thing they need to do, and that's where it ends up being that wait till the night before, and they feel that pressure, but there's also a little bit of the relief of, I don't have anything else to work on. Like, this is it. This is all I get to do. So for managers, some of this is fleshing out what kind of employee do you have? Which of those four boxes If any, because you may have employees that don't fit into one of those four types of perfectionists, and that's great, too. But figure out if you have an employee that struggles with getting work done, that they may not be actively participating, that something just seems to be off. Talk with them Mm -hmm. to them. Some of these traits, some of these characteristics, see if they relate to any of them. And then it's working with them to see how can you bring out their most productive self by harnessing that personality type. And the thing is, is that in work, just like in school, a lot of times we're cookie cutter of like, no, it has to be done this way. And just like in school, not every employee is cookie cutter and thinks and works in the same way.
1: Hmm. You know, what, what you're making me think of is, You know, I know for me, I I like to be busy. I like to be productive. My number, well, for the longest time, my number one strength was Achiever. Now it's like second or third. But I really like being productive and efficient and effective. And that's just kind of my jam. And uh, one of the clients I'm working with here in Dallas, you know, my team and I are doing some exit surveys because some people are leaving. And what we're finding, and um, it does fall more on the Gen Y, it would be the Gen Y, and millennials, um, they're what they're saying is they they felt they weren't being challenged enough. They felt like they weren't being asked to do enough. They had there was too much slack in the rain, if you will. And I could I, I could relate to that. Um, and so I remember years ago when I took a job in in some trans transition time, and they had this program to have me wait. And I'm like, it would have been better if you just threw me in the deep end. It really would have been, you know, if you would have just, <laughs> I would have been so much better off if you'd done that. Right. So just knowing and to your point, and this is where it gets really interesting, Laurie, from my vantage point is, you know, managers often are very well intended. They want to take care of their people, but they're doing it from the vantage point of, well, this is what I would want, the golden rule, treat, me, treat others as you would do unto yourself, not the platinum rule, which is to treat others as they want to be treated. Right? So if we find out, to your point, well, how does the employee work best? Maybe they need 26 projects going on at one time. That's how, they, how, they, how they, they jam their best. And somebody else is like, I need to finish one at a time, but I'll knock it out of the park each time. Yeah. To your point, communication.
2: Yes, it, it absolutely is. And you have a, a element of boundaries, too, which haven't touched on because boundaries are a really big piece of one on the burnout side but also on the perfectionism side. And what I see is that individuals that struggle with setting good boundaries, they struggle with being assertive. They're the ones more likely to go to the short-term disability as well because they get into people-pleasing. Mm-hmm. And they might go into that job being the super go-getter and give me all the projects and I can do it because I want to please you. And they give, give, give. And at some point, there's no more give, I mean, to give. yeah. You know, we only have a certain amount. Tank
1: is of is empty, yeah. You know?
2: yeah, the tank gets empty and the they set such a high standard for themselves going in people-pleasing that they might be giving 150%. And so if they drop down to even 110%, the manager, the director might go, what's wrong with you? Like, what's going on? There's a problem. But other individuals that went in just maybe giving the 80%, maybe 100%, but maybe a little bit less than, they don't get the same eyebrows raised because they already set that expectation of this is where I work. Don't expect much of me. So for them, yeah, they get less attention and it's usually less stress, but the people pleaser raise that bar so high from the beginning that if they drop that bar at all, they're getting that attention on them and then, you know, it's not great. And then they feel bad and then, Oh boy, that just sets off a whole chain of events.
1: Mm-hmm. Now I see the relationship to burnout. So let's talk about that next. So I, I, I have a dear friend and colleague, Dr. Neha Sangwan. She's doing a lot of work in the space too. And, um, and burnout, boy, I mean, it is real, right? This is a real thing. So talk to us about burnout. What, how, how would you, you know, describe that from more of a, you know, a therapeutic vantage point? What is it and why is it such a problem?
2: I like to keep things pretty simplistic. It's, It's similar in nature, actually, when someone becomes severely depressed, which depression and burnout do sort of go together. And it's the, your give a care just isn't there anymore. Give a
1: care. Yeah.
2: (laughs) Figure I I would edit that part (laughs) to make it nicer. But, I mean, it's really, it's a numbness. A lot of employees report, like, I I just go in and I'm going through the motions. I've got nothing left to give that... I'm I'm barely surviving. Getting out of bed is a chore, uh, and again, very much parallels a lot with depression. Mm-hmm. And they just they don't have the energy. They don't have the motivation. There's just nothing that's giving them excitement. Um, there's this adhedonia that's present. It's just
1: adhedonia. That's an interesting word. Never heard it. Say it again, please.
2: Oh, uh, adhedonia. It's the it's a clinical term of. It's lack of enjoyment. It's the blah.
1: Mm, Yeah. Now, this sounds a lot like depression. How is it different?
2: It, to me, burnout really does fall in the depression category. Mm, I I really do think they work together. You could have burnout that maybe goes with some anxiety, but there's also understanding anxiety and depression work in tandem. The majority of the time, if you have one, you're going to get the other how that manifests in a workplace environment is maybe initially it starts off with anxiety of like, Oh my gosh, I have so much I have to get done and can even go into panic attacks. Mm-hmm. Cause I know plenty of individuals that we did disability paperwork because the panic attacks were so bad. They couldn't even go into the parking lot because they got so anxious about going into work and that fear, that worry that like, what's it going to be today? And is the boss going to say something? Am, am I able to perform? And whatever thoughts go through their mind. But you, it takes a lot of energy to be anxious. I mean, that's, that's a lot of adrenaline pumping through your system. And at some point you can get adrenal failure or you just get that exhaustion where your glands just I got nothing. Like Mm -hmm. there's nothing
1: left. Powering down. Yeah.
2: Powering down. Absolutely. That's when we see people go into medical hospitals. It's also where I've seen plenty of people go into behavioral health hospitals. Mm -hmm. And you that anxiety is just the lack of energy and you're just like, I can't be anxious anymore. There's nothing. And so you fall into depression. And that tired, that no energy, no motivation, no nothing, how it can work, how depression leads to anxiety is I have low motivation. I'm not getting stuff done. I know I've got to get stuff done, but I just, I can't do it. So now the anxiety is building up. It's back there and it's just beating on me and it's just, I know I got to get it done. And so anxiety just builds and builds because you know you're not performing and you need to, but you You got nothing to perform with. So that's a a simplistic example of how they work in tandem.
1: Awesome. Yeah. Well explained, and that helps us really situate what we, want to talk, what we want to talk about after we get back from the next break, which is really how can we situate well-being in the workplace. So let's grab our last break. I'm Elise Cortez, your host. We've been on the earth with Lori Vaughn. She's an international speaker, media guest, and five-time author. She is a regarded behavioral health expert and founder of Van & Associates Coaching, Counseling, and Consulting. We've been talking quite a bit about uh, perfectionism and burnout. And now after the break, we are going to treat just really what employees are looking for in the way of employers honoring their well-being. Stay with us. We'll be right back.
0: Dr. Elise Cortez is a management consultant specializing in meaning and purpose. An inspirational speaker and author, she helps companies visioneer for greater purpose among stakeholders and develop purpose-inspired leadership and meaning-infused cultures that elevate fulfillment, performance, and commitment within the workforce. Now, back to Working On Purpose.
1: Thanks for staying with us and welcome back to Working On Purpose. One other bit of news that I want to share with you is that the anthology I spent a couple of years finding people for and curating has just been released. And it's a collection of 25 stories from women across the globe who share their intimate details of finding their purpose and what they're now doing to serve from it. It's called Passionately Striving and Why, an anthology of women who persevere widely to live their purpose. It's on Amazon. And it is, I'm so proud of that I could bust. There, it's, we have stories from Australia to Zambia, and they're personal and they will help you discover your own purpose. And by the way, now I'm out scouting the globe to recruit men who are living their purpose and want to share their story. So contact me if you know someone or if you want to share your story, at least at elisecortez.com. If you're just joining us, my guest is Lori Van, she's a licensed professional counselor, supervisor, practicing mental health counseling and LPC associate supervision in the state of Texas. She's an international speaker, media guest, and five-time author. She joins us today from just outside the Dallas area. I'm Elise Cortez, your host. So for this last bit, I really want to focus on bringing us home into what can we do about this. We've been presencing the problems of what's going on in the workplace, I think, quite handily. (laughs) So now we want to focus on um, this notion of well-being. And I have had that on my radar, Lori gosh, I really got it probably in, in 2021. And so when I crossed paths with you, I went ding, 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 yes, well-being, let's talk about that. It's so it's so important. And one of the things that you said in our conversation was that, you know, of course we know that there are five generations in the workforce today, but you say that the millennials, which we know are, are quite large, are really looking for a company who will honor their well-being. So I want to finish this this show, this segment here, focused on this this piece of well-being. So first, since we positioned that the millennials out there, can you help us understand what proportion of the workforce do they comprise? I know they're quite a bit, but I don't really know what the number is or the percentage.
2: Well, they are 35% of the workforce, and that translates to 56 million. They are the largest representation in mm-hmm. the workforce. Now, right behind them, really close, are the Gen Xers at 53 million, so Pretty neck and neck there, but I, I dare say it, is that each generation has its own nuances, and people give, or I would say, millennials get a bad rap in a lot of ways. But I think they've also brought to awareness some things that have been been going on too long, and probably shouldn't have been going on for that long. So. While there's some things that go, okay, maybe that's a little extreme. There are other things like expecting that your boss doesn't take advantage of you. I mean, that doesn't sound like such a bad idea.
1: (laughs) No, it doesn't.
2: Yeah. (laughs) Expecting that you'll be treated with respect. I don't think that's such a bad concept. Expecting to not give the best years of your life and slave away to the point where you have health problems for your job. Yeah, I, you know what, I don't think that's such a bad concept there. So for millennials, in one of the studies, one of the top things they are looking for an employer is someone that's going to respect their well being. And that's on a physiological and on a psychological level. Now, how that may look depends on who you ask within that demographic. But things of, well, as I mentioned, the respect piece, but I'd also say even just feeling there's a fairness, there's an equity, that there's not this favoritism, that there's not a discrimination. Yeah, that goes to psychological health. When you feel that you're valued and you're treated equally as an equal human being, Mm -hmm. things of shorter work weeks. I mean, America got into a really bad habit of even a six day work week in some professions. That's ridiculous. Wow. Wow. And so now going from, okay, a lot of businesses, a lot of professionals working 50, 60, 70 hours a week and go, you know what, what are we doing? And millennials saying, it's not worth it. There have to be some other ways besides sacrificing our health that we would like to have time with families whenever we decide to have a family. That's good because that benefits the next generation of employees. If employers want to put it in that context, you know, what kind of new employees are we going to be producing if we've stressed out the previous one or the ones that we have? And there's also just the work from home aspect. And, and yeah, that did bring about some definite benefits. Um, I don't think it's, you know, it's ridiculous if your job can do it then allowing that as an additional option for your employees. I'm not saying five days a week, but maybe if they could have one or two days out of the five days where they get to work from home, that shows that you're listening to them. If that's something people want, you need to listen to it. And, and there's definitely the ways to do that, not in every profession, but in a lot of them. And I Mm -hmm. would encourage just listening. Like, Actually sit down and listen to say, hey, what are the top five things that you're looking for? Regularly survey your employees and even maybe changing the language of it from employees to like team members, because we're all sort of in it together, aren't we? Don't we want more of a team culture?
1: Mm-hmm. I would say so. Well, so a couple of things came to mind as you were talking, Lori, and thank you for helping to sort of paint and broaden the picture for people to understand. I, I, I know that, you know, I'm working with some companies now, they're just exasperated by all this. And I, you know, it's really hard work to be a leader today. I don't want to really honor that. Um, who's ever listening or watching? And if you're a leader going, you're pulling your head like, well, I don't know what to do. And I get it. That's why, you know, happy, happy to help in that regard. But, you know, I being someone to be able to understand what do I do with this all this this stuff that's swirling and so when you talked about in um, you know, just listening to them and and you know caring for them I think what we're all, what we're also speaking about here is caring for your team members so one simple thing that's coming to my mind I've got a couple companies that I'm working with um, and they're really having a hard time with this thing of you know working from home they 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 like the they you know some of it does come down to 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 mistrust they don't trust that the work's going to get done which gets conveyed even if they don't say it with words that gets conveyed message received by by the team member um but what's what i found especially in december january and the early part of february when COVID, you know was really really spiking is a lot of employees were having a hard time with having to come into the office they didn't feel safe and you know to keep your job you got to come to the office and i think that's a perfect example of not demonstrating that you care for your employees that you're extending that you care about their well-being right perfect example Um, and i can remember when this thing was first unfolding a couple of my colleagues said you know what i mean like first this is now two years they said this is probably going to turn into a time when you're going to talk to people that say so do you go to the office tuesdays and thursdays or do you go monday wednesdays and fridays you know, it's not going to be that you go every, every day anymore. And so I think what you're, what you're surfacing, Lori, is really important, you know, and, you know, managing. And then, of course, that's the whole thing of balancing how do you get work done in, a, in an organization and as well as take care of your people.
2: Yeah. There's definitely accountability that has to be there of like, hey, today this is your expectation. So, again, goes back to communication, our managers being really clear about timelines for projects and and yes i do want to stop and say being a manager and a director being an employer is a difficult thing it without a doubt not going to take anything especially away especially now right especially yes, now absolutely there's also a piece of situational awareness and i think what What happened and turned a lot of people off maybe from their current workplaces is they felt that, hey, you're asking me to do this when we don't really know what's going on. I don't feel physically safe, but also now I don't feel really necessarily psychologically safe. And it's that lack of situational awareness of look around, understand where the other person is coming from, put yourself in their shoes And then respond with that information, with that context. Because I think sometimes we get in that like, nope, this is the memo and this is how it is. And we totally detached from, do you understand how this comes across? Like Mm -hmm. if you sat back and read it as one of your team members, if this were given to you, how would you respond to it? And I think that is a really important piece for those in leadership positions to you know what have someone else read the memo whether that's your spouse or whether that's another you know someone else in the office before you actually send it out because there has been a lot of damage done when people were not situationally aware and then those situations made it all over social media and it doesn't make your company look too Mm -hmm. good
1: or glass door for that matter they show up on glass door Um, So back to this whole situational awareness thing, you know, one of the things that I've really gotten present to working with my clients and and, and their team members is, you know, think about this. The last two years, although it has been nice to work from home, but you're still in the situation where a lot of these people who are employees, they're caring for children who are trying to be homeschooled because they couldn't go to school. So, you know, just trying to handle kids and keeping them focused and or taking care of parents or extended family members, you know, just a lot of um bandwidth drain if you will right on people so and then still trying to be productive and focused at work um and yet they're and they're tired and overwhelmed and maybe they caught covid and they're sick um i mean i talked to somebody who you know had taken a couple of days off from 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 work and um because his uh, a very important family member of his died from covid and he said i'm on the way to the funeral and my my my, my work is calling saying um what where's that report that you said you were going to send us? and i know you're dealing with some family stuff but you know wh- when do you think you could send it uh, walking into the funeral as we speak could you cut me some slack you know so you know, situ- total lack of situational awareness right so i think if we really step back and you know we recognize what people have really been through these last 2 years and just a little bit of empathy here um and so then 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 that means we have to give people the, the ability to talk about when they don't it's I don't I'm not okay. I don't feel good. So making you know, talking about mental health openly, whereas we didn't used to be able to do that. So, you know, making that more of a practice. So what else can you can you tell us that you would recommend that employers can do to be able to to create a workplace where they're honoring that well being?
2: Well, I one of the things going back to the feedback is anonymous feedback. So when Mm -hmm. I was doing consulting for a nonprofit, for example, and they were wanting to know, well, what, what are they really thinking? What does the team think? But the team had fear of some kind of retribution. So what I recommended is that you have a Form, not something that you can do online per se, because then people are like, oh, well, it could be traced back to my email or, or whatnot.
1: My IP, yeah. <laughs> yeah. the IP.
2: So something printed up, something that they could either type in if they wanted to or, you know, handwrite, because most things were not handwriting anymore. So it's a little bit, you know, trickier to figure out whose handwriting is who. But it gets submitted in one lump sum. So it's not individuals turning it in at individual times, it's like it all goes into one big envelope or one big box or whatever. And then it's just, you know, someone goes through it and maybe even better yet having it be a neutral person. So not Mm -hmm. even the manager that goes through it, someone that's neutral that really doesn't have skin in the game and let them tally the results. And then there's that one more degree of separation and that helps build some trust but then once you have the information what are you going to do with it it's the follow-through yes where you know and you you've probably heard it too that people said well yeah i spoke up and i made this suggestion and
1: nothing ever happened
2: precisely so Mm -hmm. lack of trust there it's like well why do i even bother because nothing's going to change
1: it's even more demoralizing for sure
2: absolutely yeah so, I mean, those are good first steps, but I would also, if there's EAPs, Employees Assistance Programs, make sure that's left or yeah. made available for employees. There are different training groups that come in. There's Workplace Mental Health Institute that I'm the north north american representative and we go in and do trainings for companies of like hey this is how you manage this in the workplace mm, okay great
1: we're running out of time laurie we, we just we're just running away here quick um any last quick quick part, uh, tips you can give to us
2: i think a great way to build a team workplace and also give people a sense of purpose is figure out ways to have volunteer activities it's a great way to team build. It's a great way for people to feel a sense of purpose. It's a great way, if you want to talk strictly marketing, to get your company's name in the community mm-hmm. in a positive way.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: But I think there's so many benefits in service.
1: Mm-hmm. Agreed. So you know this show is listened to by people across the world, and it's all about being able to elevate workplaces and create inspirational leaders and new business that betters the world. Just in, say, 20 seconds, what would you like to leave us with?
2: My big thing is just here to serve. When we have a service attitude, whether as in leadership or as a team member, it changes our perspective. And when you lead with service as your mindset, you leave the world a better place.
1: Mm-hmm. I agree, Lori. And I thank you so much for your heart and your contribution to this. It's so great to know you. In your own, you're in my own backyard, so you can run, but you can't hide. I'll find you. <laughs> Thanks for coming on. Thank you. Listeners and viewers, if you want to learn more about Lori Van and the work she does improving mental health or her books, you can visit her at a couple sites. One is laurievan.com. Let me spell that for you. L-O-R-I, V-A-N-N, Laurievan.com, or vanassociates.com, V-A-N-N-Associates.com. Last week, if you missed the live show, you can always catch it via a recorded podcast. We were on the air with Dr. Ranjay Gulati, a Harvard professor and the author of Deep Purpose the heart and soul of high performance companies it was an incredibly elevating yet completely accessible conversation the man is brilliant and he really just rocked the, the conversation you got to catch it next week will be on the air with melanie pump talking about her book detox managing insecurity in the workplace see you there remember that work is at least a third of our life, so let's work on purpose